0: This is Shannon in Durham, Jib in Durham, and Erica in Edmonton. And you're listening to the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, Episode 102, The Core is Mother, The Core is Father.
1: Cats in the Cradle Silverstone.
0: Hello and welcome to all of our listeners. Uh, Glad to talk to you again or talk to you for the first time. Who knows? We never know when people start this thing. We're not talking. Uh, This is
1: telepathic communication here.
0: Hmm. Sorry. I I see what you did there. I was being lazy. (laughs) Um, But anyway, yes, we are up to the season five episode, The Core is Mother, The Core is Father, which, of course, focuses on the PsyCore, which, you know, some people may have wondered about at the time, because, you know, just a few episodes ago with Phoenix Rising, it seemed like the sort of telepath thing was kind of done. And well, no, hey, we've got more to talk about. And we get an episode that is focused very tightly on the character that so many people love to hate, Alfred Bester. But we brought somebody who loves to talk about him. We have a guest with us this time around. Hello again, James Thompson.
2: Hi there, and thanks for saving me from the rest of season five and for giving me a Byron-free
3: episode.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's,
3: he's in his crispy, crispy grave by now, so you're fine. Yeah.
0: I don't know what you guys think. It seems... I'm not sure what JMS was thinking at the time to have this extra episode about the telepaths. Um, Our impression is that, you know, with Byron's death, things had sort of settled into, like, you know, we hear bits about uh, terrorist attacks at Psycor back on Earth uh, very briefly. But, you know, suddenly, hey, you know, we're going to go focus on the Psycor again in this episode that's very closed off from the rest of the story arc. This is kind of like a view from the gallery in that, Almost all of our action is taking place through the eyes of outsiders. We only get uh, Zach Allen and Dr. Franklin as regulars showing up. What do you guys think?
3: Well, Stephen, our, our control group, was baffled by this. Um, okay. <laughs> he really was. He's just like, it's a random Psycorps murder mystery that doesn't tie into the bigger picture. It doesn't have any of our... our main characters except for the the two that you mentioned he just he just felt like he didn't know why it was there so yeah it was not a favorite
1: I think a hint to why it's there is in the opening credits and the subtle little change that's made in the opening credits for this episode Mm. (laughs) when if you if you happen to go get a sandwich or fast forward through the credits if you're watching this for the first time or wasn't or weren't paying attention ages ago the B5 logo is replaced at the beginning of the credits. Instead, there is a PsyCore logo and the phrase, trust the core. We don't mm-hmm. get the B5 uh, identification of the show uh, until the end when it's, quote, spray paint a close mm-hmm. quote on the back of the station.
3: Yeah, Stephen th- laughed at that.
1: <laughs> I think the reason that this episode is, exists is because it can. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Which is not necessarily a great reason for it, but it's the last season of the five-year mission. It's the last chance to do unusual things. Maybe there's some season padding involved with all of the shifts from season five to season four and all this other stuff. But it's yet another season one-esque story. And Mm -hmm. he's got the chance to do it and he takes it. I liked the we had the
2: line very early on where he says not everything is about Babylon Five and <laughs> yes. and Bester yeah. practically practically turns and winks at the camera at that point. <laughs> mm-hmm. um,
3: oh, so true, yeah. Stephen I, he he, he kind of thought that just in terms of season five altogether, he felt like it's it's season five is finding it hard to find an overall story to push forward, so it has more of these pauses so to speak Um, and we'll get into talking about how much he thought the direction was not helpful um, for that sort of thing and it just... Um he just, yeah, he just kind of wanted to know why it exists that way. We get two or three episodes this year already that are just you know kind of like you know doctor light or you know main character light episodes, and yeah he's he's i i I went to bat for it, I actually said, you know this is this is the days of twenty two episodes a season television, you just you're gonna get that. Even within the uh, the heat of of the seasons, where stuff was happening all the time and it was arc arc arc, you still got some storylines that were kind of standalone. And I feel like we would have had more episodes that were standalone if they didn't think they were going to have to cram everything into season four. So so yeah, I I have no complaints about the existence of this episode. I have no complaints about the placement of it. Um, I think it is a neat idea and. You know, it may not be my favorite story, but I'm I'm all for them still continuing to try to do new and different and sort of format breaking things because that's one of the things I like about Babylon five is that it's it's not tied to itself terribly tightly.
0: And I also think that JMS was going to take advantage of the fact that he had Walter Koenig. I mean, you know, if you <laughs> yeah. have the opportunity to, you know, include another Bester-focused episode when he has turned into one of the most popular villains of your, of your series, uh, you grab it.
2: So. Well, I think villain is overstating it. I mean, you know let's, what I look, mean. <laughs> let's look at
1: the you know the positive side of the psychore as well. <laughs> well, that's certainly yeah. what happens in this episode. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's looking at it's looking at the station through the eyes of the character that we uh, love to hate, but also through the eyes of the people around him who regard him as something of a hero. Exactly. Yep. I, I've written down two
2: alternate titles for this episode. Either You Can Call Me Al. Oh.
0: Oh, James. James.
2: Or uh, Murder He Thought.
0: Oh, God. Oh, James.
1: It's <laughs> oh, great having you, James. Thank you so much for joining us this on. This has been uh, great. Y- and- <laughs> Just edit me out.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay, Um, so on that note, let's get into um, the episode. What you need to know uh, before watching this episode, telepaths evolved among the human population a couple of centuries ago, and the PsyCore was created to regulate and control them, given the fearful reaction of the non-telepath population. The organization appears to be run exclusively by telepaths these days and has developed a lot of things that they try to keep secret from the outside world. In this episode, top Psycop Bester has just been assigned two new interns when the body of a telepath is discovered in the Psy Corps headquarters. He and the interns chase the suspect to Babylon 5. One of the interns is killed during the investigation, but Bester and B-5 security chief Zach Allen eventually capture the suspect and his mundane accomplice. And that is everything that happens in this episode. Um, as someone else mentioned, it, it's this is a police procedural more than anything else um you've got Mm. your body you've got your suspect and you've got your team going to chase him and you know and the mystery gets solved you know we've talked a little bit about this already but um how does it work as like you know story-wise for you guys
3: it's fine i mean you're right it is it's you know it's sherlock holmesy sort of with bester as sherlock holmes and he's got a, a couple of watsons to start off with and uh And you even have, you know, like a – Zach is sort of the Lestrade figure who doesn't really want to help, but he's helping. And, I mean, it's – Not his division. Yeah. It it hangs (laughs) together. It hangs together just fine. Um, I found myself wondering what – even though I'd seen it before, I didn't really remember specifics. So I found myself wondering – what was the deal? Why was this murder committed? Um, mm-hmm. And I, as they sort of dribbled out hints and clues about the the guy who ran away and his increasing bafflement with why he's even there and what's going on, I was like, okay, the plot is definitely thickening. What's happening? So yeah, it was, I, I'm not going to say I was on the edge of my seat and terribly invested because, well, because these are these are psycops. and <laughs> well, yes, they're people, and I wish that we could all just get along. Uh, they are clearly not on board with that, and neither is most of the rest of humanity. Uh, sorry, Doctor Franklin. So I, I, I wasn't emotionally invested in, in like solving the murder, on that level. I was just sort of intellectually curious about how it was going to turn out. It's still fun, still fun, just not like excitement roller coaster fun.
2: I had sort of mixed up the plot of this a bit in my head with the Jason Ironheart mm-hmm, stuff. Mm-hmm. And I had remembered a much more exciting ending to the episode. <laughs> and the ending really just kind of just stops. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, you catch a bad guy and... Yeah.
2: And it's like, you know, oh, he's, you know, secretly a P-12 and oh, oh, we've captured him. Oh, well, oh, that is that it? Um yeah so <laughs> yes that's uh, it I felt it was building to something else and that's just part of my bad memory but yeah uh, no
0: I agree with that um because there were yeah there was a few moments I wasn't keeping like really close track of how much time had passed as we rewatched and you know that they, they catch him and I'm thinking okay you know yeah they catch him and then I was expecting something else to happen like he he wakes up and he gets away or you know he you know has another attack in him um the the suspect it felt to me kind of unfinished even you know police procedural wise um and that's i think where you have to sort of break off and remember that this is you know Babylon 5 and this is set in the bigger universe of Babylon 5 and half of what JMS is doing with this story is showing us much more of the sci and a lot of it ain't pretty i mean i had mm-hmm. forgotten about the intern spacing the um henchman yeah i'd completely forgotten about fleefully.
3: that And not just spacing, hyperspacing. I don't even know if that's better or worse or what.
0: I have no idea. But, you know, (laughs) just the the fact that she, you know, offers, you know, that let me take care of it. because She's still, you know, nursing this big crush on Bester and trying to impress him and everything like that. um, And comes back and her own development within this episode from, you know, wide eyed and, you know, dewy, fresh faced, excited to be there to as she said you know basically murdering her first mundane it just it was chilling it was really chilling to me
2: Yeah, the, the things the two things that uh, surprised me in the rewatch of this episode was a bestas terrible dad humor throughout <laughs> yeah, as he's telling all it. all these it. bad <laughs> jokes uh, to his interns and b the the i had forgotten the the uh uh Lauren the intern you know, her sort of making a a pass at him, uh, mm-hmm. coming to his room at night. And then, you know, he, he sort of brushes that off to a certain extent. And then later, you know, in the ship, she's like, oh, perhaps I'll give you a back rub. Yeah. <laughs> and and he, he doesn't say, no, Lauren, we've talked about this. This is against HR policy. Um, we can't do this uh, and that that was the stuff that really stuck out to me i want to see the tv series that's set in the hr department
1: at cycle <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the amusing things about this episode is that bester has been built up over the years as a big bad, a manipulative Machiavellian type in the background who's got plans for, quote, his telepaths, close quote. And you contrast that with, he's an office guy. He's got an office job. I'll have your report in the morning, you know, that that sort of thing. So it's sort of the mundane horror, not mundane, mundane, but uh, the banality of evil kind of thing. The Psycorps is a controlling organization and yet it's just it's just a job for all of those people in suits uh, running around the place um mm-hmm. even I think the,
3: the the reaction of the woman who was going to go to a uh, going to a, a concert with a right. guy who is dead like you know it shows that even even though the signs are very blatant, you know, obey and that sort mm-hmm. of thing in the, uh, you know, almost prisoner-esque font, you, you see people who are actually having strong feelings about about things that affect them. So mm-hmm. they're still human beings, whether they like it or not.
1: Right. They're, st- they're still human beings, but they've got fierce pride in who, in- who they are. They have contempt for normals, uh, at least the ones that we see in... At this level of psychor in this place at this time, it's like everybody can be sweet and loving. You know, the guards at a concentration camp can have a wonderful time, and there are pictures of people having Christmas parties and things like that while the most awful things are happening elsewhere. It humanizes the psychor characters, and it gives them some shades of gray. But at the end of the day, they're still. They're still spacing humans. Um, I think that this episode does three things, and I'm not sure that it gets the balance totally right. There's the standard police procedural plot. There's the look at Babylon 5 through an outsider's view thing that's already been done with a view for the gallery. And there is the world building for Psycorps. And Mm -hmm. happening midway through the last season the timing of it and the balance of the three pieces i kind of wish that it had hap- that this had happened earlier uh, that it mm-hmm. didn't that this episode had run some somewhere in season four before the byron telepath arc had all finished up yeah you could slot this episode in
2: pretty much anywhere in the series and you just need to change who they talk to in the station or something um mm-hmm. But there's True. not much really linking it to the, the rest of the stories.
0: Well, well, it's more world-building-y linkage, but there is the fact that the multiple personality idea thing lines up with what we've seen happen back with Talia Winters in yeah, Seasons yeah. 1 and 2, where we gradually learn that she was stripped down and a new personality was made on top of uh, the remains of what she had been So that she could be a spy for the core, and wound up um, being a spy on Babylon 5 uh, until she was discovered. And that all kind of lines up, interestingly, though, with the fact that even though the Psy Corps can create a new personality, apparently they can't detect when multiple personalities exist. Which is a kind Mm -hmm. of a neat thing that the fact that they have this gap in their abilities uh, that allows somebody like Jonathan Harris to have different levels of ability available to him depending on who's in charge at the time.
3: Yeah, it, it makes me wonder what they're actually going to do with him when they get him back to Psychor. I mm-hmm. mean, are they just going to lock him up in a cell somewhere for the for the safety of all, as Lauren said <laughs> so cheerfully? Or or are they going to see if they can, you know, make this work can control to their him. advantage? Yeah. yeah, control all of these different personalities and have them have different skills. I mean, what an amazing Psychor spy that would be if you could tap into all of these different things and control it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. my guess would be that they would certainly try and do their best to see how much they have to push and, and pull and dig t- in order to, to make that happen. And then when they probably don't succeed, then he goes in the hole. Right. Yeah. Because was that's
1: the- what Jason Ironheart said all the way back in the beginning. The psycho mm-hmm. is about control over mm-hmm. everything. And yeah.
2: the, I thought it was interesting, and I didn't remember this from elsewhere, that he, he basically steals the ability right. uh, for uh gambling from from the guy. So he's like he's a mind shredder, so he can go in and, and basically you know kill uh people uh just with his mind, but he can also sort of he's take rogue. abilities. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And that 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 would seem to be a very useful skill.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That feels like, you know, a bit McGuffinish to to have like, oh by the way, there's a few uh people that can learn to do this neat trick. But yeah, Um, one other thing as far as um, sort of like focusing on the plot part, we're sort of drifting into the psychore in general thing, but something that I found interesting about this episode, and I'm guessing it was, you know, again, to keep it sort of like clean and self-contained, there's absolutely no Garibaldi here. There, Uh There is no chance for Garibaldi to try and interact with Bester again, to try and do something about his situation again. It's not even... It's not even broached. Uh, his name is not even mentioned.
3: I think that's kind of kind of nice to sort of show us just how big Babylon 5 is. I think mm-hmm. a lot of the times we tend to think of it as not being the massive structure that it is because mm-hmm. we keep seeing the people that we know run into each other regularly enough. And... But it is, you know, it's a quarter of a million humans and aliens living in that thing with also space for, you know, the kinds of you know, restaurants and storage and, you know, the giant center of it that's hollow where you load ships and, and all kinds of equipment and stuff. So, I mean, it's it is enormous and it absolutely makes sense that he should be able to get in, spend a couple of days and get out without mm-hmm. um, Garibaldi noticing that he's there now that Garibaldi is not actually like part of security. Right.
0: Right. I just thought I found that an interesting writing choice uh, Mm -hmm. for that. And we've talked a lot about the stuff I'd noted about the Psy Corps already. um, The things seeing more of the things that the Psy Corps does uh, to keep such tight control over their people, the scenes in the headquarters, at times, felt a little bit claustrophobic to me because it feels like that every single person who is there is residing in this one tiny little city, where you know they live there. Their entertainment is provided, kind of in house. Apparently, almost everybody was expected to go to that concert that night. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you mentioned the signs in the hallways, um, always reinforcing their messaging. It just felt really incredibly controlled and closed off to me.
2: I my theory with the signs is that you know because we have such uh, high uh, psi levels or whatever we could see that they said you know protect the family obey trust ah, the sort of, if you're only sort like of a a they P10, live style it's nice. just nice artwork
3: uh, hanging I like that. walls I like that. I, I, I did yeah have like that's a what I was second, like oh that's kind of like one of those signs from They Live but I didn't take it any farther to think that oh it might depend upon your level of uh, of psi ability I like this canon okay. accepted.
0: <laughs> Not only do we get a whole much more information about the core, but we get a whole lot more about Bester, possibly more than we've ever learned about him before. With uh, a ton of uh, his backstory, seeing how he, inter- he interacts when he's surrounded by his people. As you said, he turns into the ultimate, you know, dad joke delivering uh, mm-hmm. office guy. And th- this is dad joke delivering dad
3: sweater wearing office yes. guy. Yes. <laughs>
1: yes yes i wrote down dad sweater as well (laughs) Mm -hmm. he's he almost walter Koenig almost plays bester as a bored bureaucrat it it's it's Mm -hmm. a really different look uh for the character and to the point that when he arrives on the station zach and to a lesser extent dr franklin Just come off as even more jerky than, I mean, Zack is actually a jerk to Bester. Mm -hmm. He's got good reason for it, but there's also the anti-telepath bigotry going on there. Bester is so gosh darn normalized in this episode that looking at Babylon 5 through his and his intern's eyes, man, mundanes are really pieces of trash, aren't they?
3: (laughs) Well,
2: except for Dr. Franklin yeah i mean he sort of i think he sees genuinely seems to think well, you know it's nice to see an idealist in in dr franklin um but bless his yeah, naive Sa- little
1: heart mm-hmm.
2: yeah um he will be one of the last that they uh kick out into hyperspace uh
0: yeah. <laughs>
2: but um yeah uh Zach is just horrible, and i think the intern you know, is watching all this and and it's reinforcing everything that they've been telling them in, in uh, mm-hmm. at the cycle. Yeah. Although Zach, uh, I
3: I have to say I, I do just absolutely love watching Zach in this episode because mm-hmm. yeah, he's being a jerk. And I mean, at the beginning, he very much starts out by being being a jerk. But he, it seems like he sort of relaxes into the fact that he's stuck with him more mm-hmm. than garibaldi or sheridan or sinclair ever did so by the end you kind of get him going well i know it didn't really make sense but you know you can't uh, what does he say something about it. i'm not going to let that get in the way of a good grudge like he's right. got a he's, he's got honest. a twinkle yeah. in his eye about it so about he's it, yeah. not hmm yeah. yeah, so he yeah. he's up front, you know where you stand with him. So mm-hmm. and it's like, you know, he appreciates the chance to just crack a good quick with, quip with that little twinkle in his eye and the smile on his face and I'll I'll watch that any day.
1: And mm-hmm. when uh Zach, when Bester's intern Chen is killed, I mm-hmm. think it's written and played that Zach mm-hmm. is genuinely sorry. Mm -hmm. And of course, Bester is not going to believe that for a second. So that's the crocodile tears line. And Mm -hmm. um, it's the and that pattern gets repeated when Franklin um, is caring for Bester as his patient at the end of the episode. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I
3: think it would have been I think it's uh, a well written in terms of showing these characters as they as they are because it it makes sense for for dr franklin to sort of get up on his high horse a little bit and say hey no that's like i really do you want to scan me i totally permit Mm -hmm. it um and i feel like if if um if we maybe had a little bit more emotional intelligence on on zach's side if that that it would have been nice for him to go there as well and actually show bester in this episode that two people have you know honest to goodness, sad feelings about stuff like this. Uh, but that's certainly not where the episode was going or what it was trying to say, so it wouldn't make any mm-hmm. sense. But just like in my head, I after watching, I had that thought that, you know, wouldn't it be nice if, if Bester wasn't quite so blind and was able to see that, no, it's not as bad out there as you think.
0: Yeah, I think it sort of echoes a bit that Bester not quite trusting uh, back when, you know, Sheridan, they find the frozen telepaths that are going to be part of the shadow uh, vessels. And Carolyn, uh, Bester's lover and his soulmate, is one of those people. And Bester just can't quite let himself believe that Sheridan would actually, like, try to save her and keep her safe somewhere until they can figure out how to wake her up. Mm -hmm. Um, And, of course, we get echoes of that when he does... With without really mentioning names, if I remember correctly, he but you know mentions that the love of his life, and we can tell that he doesn't mean his wife. Um, I think mm-hmm. Lauren gets that too, maybe. Um, but um, I
1: think so too. But, when yeah. he when he when he mm-hmm. says the joke about if my wife ever finds out,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So um, you know, I kind of like that, that there's some consistency with um Bester's uh, interactions with uh, the characters that we do get from Babylon Five.
2: Yeah, I also did wonder with all the stuff that he was saying about, you know, his origins of, what was it, he was found at age three and and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. whether any of the stories he was telling them were actually the truth (laughs) or just, you know... (laughs) One of the Veni versions of the story that he'd constructed over the years.
0: Yeah, well, speaking of which, there's actually, like, canon conflict, uh, if you take the tie-in materials uh, as well. Uh, because, you know, we get the story here that he mentions about being found in a foster home at a very young age. In one of the comics that features Bester, um, it's said that the core finds him when he's 10. So, which seems to be a lot later on, and a lot, maybe almost too late for the level of indoctrination he shows to the core. so... Yeah, um,
1: and I'm not sure which of those are canon, canon, and which are not. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, and I, it's really great for a podcast here when you don't remember a, an important uh, source. But the J. Gregory <laughs> Keyes Psychor novels um, mm-hmm. are very much uh, the, the 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 last two of the trilogy. Very much feature Alfred Bester and go into his. Go into his history and his future, which we shall not divulge here in this space. That's what spoiler space is for. I do think there is a chance that there is some myth making going on here, even within the or Why, you know, Bester lied when he told uh, Zach that they never make mistakes about the mm-hmm. le- uh, mm-hmm. about uh, uh, telepaths' P level. Um, you know, why would he necessarily tell the truth to his intern? Right. Yeah. yeah.
0: So taking another uh, look sort of at the overall story, you mentioned earlier, Erica, about uh, directing. This was uh, the third episode directed by Stephen First, who plays Veer on the show. And again, it's an episode that's kind of removed from the general overall story. His previous episodes, if I remember correctly, were And Now for a Word and um, Deconstruction of Falling Stars, I think. Deconstruction for sure. No, not uh, The Illusion of Truth. The, the second ISN one. Yes, was the that's, a, that's the one. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what did your Stephen see as far as directorial things? He
3: he actually felt kind of bad about it. We were talking about the episode after it ended and he was just kind of like, I didn't really like the directing in it. He said, I usually I usually really like Stephen first's directing, but he just felt that, that overall it was really kind of flat. It just, mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of life to it. And I mean, some of that might come, this is me saying that some of that might come from the fact that we didn't have our regulars. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I loved about Stephen first directing was the, his work with actors and specifically the main cast actors who we didn't have. So here he's working with Walter Koenig, who's a great actor and who actually I think turns in a good performance here. But, you know, some, a bunch of randos for the most part. And I, it just it didn't, Didn't shine. And then he and speaking of shining, the other thing that Stephen pointed out was the lighting was very flat, Uh, Mm -hmm. especially in the Psycor HQ, which might have led a little bit to what you were saying earlier, Shannon, about it feeling sort of claustrophobic and stuff.
0: Mm. So it may have been
3: deliberate. Ste- well, I don't know if it was deliberate or just a side effect of the fact that Stephen was just like, you know, I know they're cheap sets. And the way you make them look like cheap sets is by shining a lot of light on them. And mm-hmm. they did. They just they, it made He's them look much He's watched a much... lot
1: of 80s Doctor Who there. He really has.
3: <laughs> so it's just a lot of like it, it made them look more, you know, prefab and cheap and maybe maybe that was on purpose. Maybe that was to kind of show that the PsyCor is just sort of like, like you said, sort of all boxed up in this building of little cubicles and cubby holes. And they're not necessarily living the high life that you might expect. They're just bureaucrats. Um, so maybe maybe that's uh maybe that's on purpose. And it, it achieved its purpose to some extent. But at the same time, it just it sort of made everything seem flat. That's just the word that Stephen kept coming back to. It didn't feel very atmospheric in any way. Uh,
2: In terms of the uh, people being random, uh, I was looking up the cast afterwards. Right. And I did too. Lauren, the uh, female intern, was in fact... Um, Audrey Griswold from the National Lampoon Vacation movies. Um, <laughs> you, yeah,
0: you
3: sent us a it. picture. You sent us a picture that before I had had a chance to rewatch the episode, and it's just a picture of the Griswold family with their like moose ears or whatever, all smiling at the camera. And I'm like, James, are you okay? <laughs> I <had> no idea. <laughs> I did not get. Yeah. It. So
2: that's why I sent it as a, as a kind of to see if you would make that leap. Um. <laughs> And uh, Chen, I believe, is in Grimm. Who mm-hmm. uh, he mm-hmm. plays a regular in that, uh, which I haven't watched. But, yep. but yeah, it, it, I thought it was interesting to to see them. Uh, the other thing that stood out was the the name of the rogue telepath was Jonathan Harris, mm-hmm. and my mind immediately went to, oh, well, this must be uh, a Lost in Space reference that they're putting in. But actually, but, appar- <laughs> go but ahead. apparently it wasn't. It was the. Uh, the winner of a raffle uh, by the (gasps) Babylon 5 fan club uh, to get somebody's name into an episode who just happened to be called Jonathan Harris
1: yay I get to be a mass
0: murderer (laughs) wow (laughs) well you know it's interesting yeah Yeah, um, I actually, by and large, I was okay with most of the um, major guest actors. Um, You know, I thought that both of the interns were, you know, just as squeaky behind the ears, naive as they were supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And I liked the fact that they gave them, at least, they gave them a bit of depth with Chen, like, you know, deciding to go off on his own and, hey, I'm going to get the credit for the arrest and I'm going to pull this, I'm going to surprise this guy in his sleep. And, you know, not only does that get in, him in trouble, but then he's following procedure later on when he gets killed. Um, yeah. So, you know, the the twists and turns that they give him. Um, I also thought that the actor playing uh, Jonathan Harris, you know, given what he was expected to do, did a pretty good job. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I didn't have any, any issues with, with any of the acting. I didn't think
3: it was the most stellar, but it was kind of fine i feel like the acting from all of the the telepaths fit sort of with those cheap overlit sets at 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 psychor like they weren't great but they were they were fine actually i think the the best guest performance came from the bartender that chen was was asking like about and just that was a very sort of naturalistic performance and i was like oh i'd like to see this guy again mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah. He, was, he was my thumbs up for rando
1: of the up. Yeah. I do not and want I'll... to know what's, uh, what a pack Mirage hump actually is. I just nope. don't.
3: Nope. Um, I'm glad they cut it off
1: there. There are notes um, about yeah. that. Uh, JMS yeah, that's discoverable that's about... on, the,
0: on, on the Lurker's oh, no. Guide if you want to know. <laughs> but... um. Yeah, but overall, if you look at the like the IMDb stats for most of these folks, um, they all have like continued to have decades long solid character actor careers. So it's like the Babylon Five happened for most of them at the beginning of these careers, and you know, so they they go on and they get better and uh, used on a regular basis. So. Cool. Okay, um, can we think of anything else that we want to dig into uh, before we move into spoiler space? Things that you have not had a chance to mention.
3: I just thought it was – and this isn't a big plot thing. It was just an offhanded comment thing. I think it's amazing that Psycor has several motherships that Mm -hmm. just live in hyperspace and they just, you know, ferry themselves to and from these, you know, and we don't even know how many, just like all the others. So – there, yeah there are multiple and that's that's just like <laughs> the, 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 ominous super mm-hmm. ominous i, I love mean there's
1: it. there's a line there about when they're needed you know when 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 mm-hmm. they'll be needed or something like that and i don't think i want to be anywhere near if one or multiple ones dropped out of hyperspace
0: mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean my mind went straight to you know we the, the foreshadowing of the telepath war is what mm-hmm. i thought of you know that they they're planning and preparing in all of these ways and keeping it as out of sight as they can manage uh, to hide all this stuff from you know everyone,
1: we've mm-hmm. had so much foreshadowing, reaching its peak at the end of the fourth season with uh, Sheridan's lampshaded line. You know we all know there's going to be a telepath war sooner mm-hmm. or later, and this episode didn't do much. I didn't. I don't think except for the spaceships to sort of push that notion further. But it just seemed to make the CyCor and Earth telepath society seem just more. More complicated. Uh, mm-hmm. Underneath, the, underneath these suits, these are real flesh and blood people with real feelings and real opinions and things like that. Which, again, going back to what I said at the beginning, I think that you've got the you've got the police plot, you've got the view from the gallery version two and you've got that bit of world building. It's it's just sort of an awkward mix for me. It's a perfectly fine episode, but. I don't feel like it does 100% well in any of those categories.
2: One of the little things in it that I liked was the scene with the the two telepaths who were sort of trying to block each other, mm-hmm. and like were doing the training, like training themselves to be able to block for up to an hour because nobody could scan for more than 45 minutes or something. I kept but going, except like-
0: Lita. <laughs> like several yes. times it kept popped in my head when they would mention like, you know, powers beyond regular telepaths and I'd be like, except Lita. But anyway.
2: <laughs> but I did like the, the visualization of the mm-hmm. sort of attacking and blocking that looked very Volon shadow. Exactly. And I exactly. Yeah. Yeah,
0: Absolutely. That, that ties in very well. Again, you know, continuity still happening.
1: Yeah. yeah, I will. I th- uh, The one part of this episode that I really, really didn't like and it felt clumsily written to me uh, was just making it painfully, painfully obvious. Stop. Reverse. Watch it again. Stop. Reverse. Yeah. Watch it again. Yeah. Yes, we get we it. it. Multiple it personality time. disorder. <laughs> we get it. Thank you, JMS.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: we,
2: we got it like five minutes before
0: uh, <laughs> yeah. that scene. Exactly. But he was going to be clear about it. Yeah,
1: um, and oh, 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 and that's the that's the last point that I want to make about. Uh, or you just made me think about it. Um, Babylon Five was airing. This was the the one year that it aired on TNT on basic cable in everybody's house. The theory I think was that a lot of people were coming to the show for the first time and. Mm-hmm. You know, it was running in the afternoons one episode a week, one episode a day on the reruns and then weekly episodes at the same time. I think this is an example of a standalone episode designed to fit in where anybody can just pick it up and watch it and get into Mm -hmm. it. I I don't know if there was Mm -hmm. specific pressure from TNT or something like that, but I think that that sort of contributes that season five is not only a little arc light. But it is also they're trying they're trying to do more done in ones to try to capture this new audience.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, actually, that turned out to be a good thing. Uh, JMS mentioned several times on the Lurker's Guide how when the NBA finals hit that TNT was airing, suddenly they had to make decisions on when to air. The episodes of the new season and how, mm-hmm. what order they were going to be aired in so as not to lose their own momentum, which is one of the reasons that, you know, the master um, episode list that we follow has some big variations uh, from the order it wound up being aired in at the time. One other thing that I will mention that leapt out where Lauren makes a comment about, you know, oh, if only we could like a uh, find a way to record their thoughts. And Bester says, give us time. Mm <laughs> hmm. That's a thing. It's a Vorlon thing. Back in uh, Deathwalker, right. when uh, the vor- when uh, Kosh is having this fellow apparently interrogate Talia, and it turns out that this fellow Abbott is this fake android thing that has yes been recording her thoughts all of this time, and Kosh has a data crystal now of all of these things. So somebody else can do it. Telepaths will get there. Okay. Is there anything else that we can think of that we want to mention?
1: I think I'm ready to jump into spoiler space. To my surprise, I have thoughts.
0: Okay. (laughs) Uh, Before we do that, then, we will remind everybody that the next episode in the Master Viewing Order is Meditations on the Abyss, is the episode that we will be covering next. Uh, As always, you can come to find us online at b5audioguide.com and participate in our wonderful chat threads with all of our great listeners who have so much to say, and we love reading everything you guys share with us. We can also be found on Twitter and Tumblr at b5audioguide for both of those. Uh, And James, if people would like to find you and listen to more of your opinions, where do they go?
2: um you can find me on twitter as james thompson thompson with a P, and generally i can be found on incomparable podcasts everywhere
0: okay
1: and he makes a yeah. hell of a calculator app mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> i
2: may do that as well but i wasn't gonna plug it
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey it, that's <laughs> that's,
3: that's, why that's why we're fine here.
0: yes <laughs> we'll do it for you okay uh,
2: pcalc.com then
0: thank Ooh. you very much And with that, we are going to go through a jump gate and into spoiler space. And hopefully we're not going to lose anyone on the way. (laughs) Uh Somebody (laughs) grab Chip. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So, um... We did not mention this earlier in uh, pre spoiler space, but this turned out to be uh, Bester's last episode. Uh, Walter Koenig mm-hmm. was scheduled to appear in the second half of the season one of the uh, spin off uh, program Crusade, but unfortunately, TNT canceled that show mid first season and uh, they never got to film uh, what he would be doing next. Um, but uh, we mentioned beforehand that the character appears in comics, appears in novelizations, in a lot of tie in media. Um, but anyway, Chip, you said you had thoughts. Um, There didn't seem to be a whole lot spoilery going on in general. It was such an enclosed episode, but what did you think of?
1: I think the only reason to do this episode in the fifth season is to set up stuff for the telepath war and for the future status quo of telepaths in Crusade, which is really, really fascinating. They barely get the chance to get into that. The the character in Crusade, uh Lieutenant uh Matheson, who is a one one of the first telepaths in the Earth Force military, um, and how how telepaths do differently since the telepath war. Uh there were varying treatments for some kinds of telepath war type projects that JMS sort of worked on, but ultimately it's something that happened in between Babylon 5 and Crusade um, the stuff that we really get into with learning more about Psycor and how it works and how the people inside there, I feel like it's almost wasted because we don't get any more
2: yeah I was going to say we don't get any payoff for any of this stuff, it's great world building but um I mean, I, I assume it's because they wanted to do it, and, but just it never happened.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and I think we may have discussed this before in Spoiler Space, but uh, the script is out there on the internet. It's by Fiona Avery. It's called Value Judgments, and it would have been a late season one episode of Crusade. And the char- the characters who are trying to find a cure to the Drock plague on Earth randomly discover and run into Bester. And uh, Matheson is freaked out about it because by this point, Bester's actions in the telepath war that we never saw, um, his his reputation is 180 degrees from what Lauren and, and Chin mm. um, were, were thinking in this episode. So, you know, how the mighty have fallen. So having this episode as a contrast to that episode would have been phenomenal if that episode had actually been made. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Just there's, and that's, and that's another, that's another thing that just sort of frustrates me a little bit is that at this point, JMS has gotten his five years done, but he's, and he's mentioned in a couple of interviews here and there that, you know, there was the chance to keep the band together to uh to do crusade and he's from time to time had other ideas to play with in the Babylon 5 universe that outside of some outside of the novels and things like that there's just there's just no purchase for it. Babylon 5's big moment sort of ends with sleeping in light and every spin-off attempt and every side project after that uh some of them are really strong um i i don't think that there's a dud in the final batch of novels and novelization trilogies and things like that but you know all of this world building and nowhere to go
2: well maybe we'll finally get that movie (laughs) and we can have the telepath war then
1: i i would love that what no my 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 ideal would be something that uh, Warner Brothers domestic television or whatever the entity is now would never allow to happen. And I'm not certain that JMS would ever be terribly interested in it It would be uh, strike a deal with Big Finish. You know, let's 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 have Mm -hmm. some let's have some audio plays about Crusade. Um, Let's have some audio plays about the Babylon 5 universe universe. mixture of existing actors and new casting you could even do what big finish has done with uh with doctor who and actually recasting doctors and things like that um um yeah i, I think it's to-
2: difficult so many so many cast members are, are gone now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i think the existing cast members might not want to do it
3: yeah but
1: who I think it's fair to say, but I, I think that this episode could have been much stronger in retrospect if more could have been made out of the Babylon 5 universe. And that is my soapbox, and I shall clamber off of it now.
0: <laughs> yep, and it and it's fairly put. It, it is fairly put yep. that there's, yeah, as everyone said, there's um so much more offered to us about Psycor that we didn't know before so late in the game. It had to be hopefully setting up for, um, something in the future. And as you said, we, we never really get it.
1: I'm also assuming that this, uh, this office location or wherever it is, uh, where, um, where, where the, the Psycor campus is, I think that that may be the location where in the, um, in a flashback scene in that value judgments script from crusade, Matheson is present as uh Lita and Lanier blow up the place, and that's a pivotal moment in ending the telepath war. I think that's that I think this is that location, so mm-hmm. given the cheap construction of the sets, the place probably fell apart like cardboard <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep okay. uh anybody have anything else to add?
1: I've got a question for James. As, okay. as big a big fan of Bester and of uh, sort of the telepath subplot stuff, how does this episode leave you uh, in sort of your overall assessment of that part of the Babylon 5 story?
2: I like the telepath stuff and I like the psycho stuff. So, you know, anything that gives you a bit more of that and particularly more Bester, um, I, I appreciate it on that level. But, you know, it, it kind of didn't do as much with it as I would hope. And uh, i think as we said you know the episode just kind of ends i mean yeah she tosses somebody out of the airlock in hyperspace um to show how you know really while seemingly a wide-eyed newbie she you know w- was not above uh, a bit of murder <laughs> um, so i don't know if that was the you know just trying to say to us well you know they really are evil and there's no redeeming them, etc etc
3: this is how we grow a psychop.
2: Like, yeah, yes. That's, mm-hmm. um, you never forget your first mundane Toss that yeah. in a luck.
0: Yeah. It's kind of the one thing is the fact that this story is so self-contained because, you know, you think about that where Lauren is at the end of this episode, Byron was there at one time and totally okay with it. Lita was there mm-hmm. at one time and, you know, not completely okay with it. But at the time, she didn't see what else that she might be able to do. You know, it's like, you know, the telepaths that we have sympathy for, most of them were there at one time as well. And their choices and their outlooks got changed and went off in different directions. And yet, you know, here's these characters that are still in step with the indoctrination. So it's kind of chilling.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe they just have really good concerts. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Who knows? Well, on that note, thank you again for listening as we approach ever closer to the conclusion of the five-year story arc of Babylon 5. We will be back uh, next time with Meditations on the Abyss. Thank you again, James, for coming and talking with us. It's always a pleasure to have you.
2: Oh, uh, you're welcome. I, I think you all deserve a back rub. <laughs> Thanks.
0: And on that note, uh, this is Shannon Enduro. Chip Enduro. Chip and Erica in Edmonton. And you've been listening to the audio guide to Babylon 5.